more time. Oh, crap. No. All right, we are continuing on the road to WrestleMania, the mania of WrestleMania. And I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And joining me to continue the mania of WrestleMania, this time eight and nine, is Baron Von Awesome himself, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Be a lot better if we weren't discussing WrestleMania eight and nine. So um, Chris Bailey <laughs> will be joining us yeah, we need to talk about that. Chris Bailey will be joining us momentarily, but while we wait for him, there is something I wanted to bring to your attention, Pat. So, you know, we uh, we added this series. At, we concluded our boxing series, and then I was like, well, what do we do now? And uh, Pat's like, eh, I still have a little bit of the podcast bug in me, so I, I want to do something. Wrestling seems to do well. Boxing seems to do well. So we did the Four Kings. We're in the middle of that now. We'll actually be doing the next chapter of that tomorrow night. Um, but he was like, let's add a wrestling one. And he's like, let's look at all these WrestleManias. And I said, okay. He said, yeah. saying, this will be fun, he said. <laughs> um, and then I was like, you know what we also need to do? We need to do more of those individual deep dives, the one that we were calling Unsolved Mysteries. You know, we did one for the Ultimate Warriors. We've referenced a dozen times on here. I was like, we need to do one on Ric Flair. Here's what I figured out after researching um, 8 and 9. This is Unsolved Mysteries, Ric Flair's tenure in the WWF. This this is that show. We don't need to do another show because the history of WrestleMania's 8 and 9 is the history of the rise and fall of Ric Flair in the WWF. It's literally, this two-year period is pretty much his rise and fall, the rise of Bret Hart, the introduction of Yokozuna, and the introduction of The Undertaker into the main event picture. That's it. And, uh, and besides the, which I'm going to mention momentarily, the beginnings, like sort of the groundwork for the steroid trial, which will be the next episode we talk about. Um, that's kind of this two-year period. So go ahead, Pat. It's, there are a lot of the ground that we would cover in that individual show is going to get covered in this. Yeah. Uh, all right. Joining us is the legendary Doc Hendricks. How you doing, Doc? Well, let me tell you something. Oh, it's great to be here, Mark Redlich. No, I'm just kidding. It's Chris Bailey. Now, I know everybody's disappointed, but I have arrived, and I'm here to update everybody on the misconception of the fall of Ric Flair, because this guy was painted with a brush. Oh, my goodness. Hogan and Flair didn't draw. It was disappointing. I cry bullshit. I have the numbers. I have the figures. I have the arenas. And I'm here to expose the lies that is the Hulk Hogan-Ric Flair feud. Well, that's what we're here to do, my friend. So I'm, I'm glad you're here to unpack the unsolved mystery of Ric Flair's WWF run. And might I add, doot, doot, doot. Doot, doot, doot. Love it. All right. All right. So let's kick things off. Um, the years are 1991 through 1993. But we, have to, we actually have to go back a little further than that. 
And um, I have a note here. So this was one of those where the history of the of the two year period we're discussing is so convoluted. I had to take copious notes in order to track it all. <laughs> <laughs> like everything up to this point was like a smooth. And I'll make this point again later a little stronger about how when WWF WWF committed for the first like five WrestleManias, they really committed. And then six, they're a little wavery. Seven, a little more wavery. Eight and nine, they're just like, we have no courage whatsoever. Ah! You know, it one thing doesn't work out and they change everything and then everyone quits. Um, but um, what I want to talk about here is, like I said, next episode when we talk about WrestleMania 10, you know, 1993 to 94, uh, we have to also talk about the steroid trial. But the steroid trial didn't just come out of nowhere and just, wee, he got indicted one day. It starts in 1989. I have a note here. I um, just want to get your quick, like, pithy remarks about this. WWF CEO Linda McMahon, married to Vince, obviously, had sent a memo on December 1st, 1989, advising that Dr. Zahorian, a urologist, um, and the guy that was giving the prescribing the steroids to the wrestlers, namely Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper, should not be used by the WWF prior to his arrest and trial on the grounds of suspicion of illicit steroid distribution. Um, subsequently, Zahorian was arrested by the FBI, and we'll get back to him in a little bit, on February, in February of 1991. So they knew. They, they knew, you know, they, he's not going to get indicted until late 93, but they knew as far back as the end of 89 that the writing was on the wall and the shit was about to fly, Pat. Yeah, so... Zahorian, for those who don't know, is based out of Pennsylvania. And when WWF was running their weekly television tapings as the Worldwide Wrestling Federation and then the World Wrestling Federation in the early 80s, Zahorian was the in-house doctor who would prescribe whatever the boys needed. And not necessarily just steroids, but painkillers, anti-inflammatories, all that stuff. He was the registered physician at ringside for those shows. So he had a longstanding relationship with the company. 1989 to 90 sees a federal regulatory push about the use of anabolic steroids, largely based on trans, uh, testimony from people like Lyle Alzado, who's a football great, who's blaming steroids for giving him brain cancer and a lot of other things. Um, the senator at the time in Pennsylvania is a guy named Joe Biden, who I don't makes... know if people know who that is. <laughs> no, Brandon. I'm sorry. Brandon is his name. Um <laughs> Let's go, Brandon. Uh, but yeah, he makes a very hard push for the federal level criminalization of anabolic steroid distribution, use, not ab not even abuse, sorry, but distribution and use. And this is a drug that at the time had been treated, used to treat, I should say, patients with HIV, uh, very severe health defects. But the idea became steroids are bad. They hurt you, all this stuff. And so at the same time, while all this is going on, we name Arnold Schwarzenegger a Council to Physical Fitness for the United States, who, of course, is not a steroid user or abuser at any point in his life. Um, but yeah, so Zahorian, because he's based out of Pennsylvania, is even under more scrutiny because of the push. And in 1990, they passed the bill that mandates uh, or not mandates, but recognizes steroid use, distribution, et cetera, possession as a federal crime. And Zahorian is one of the immediate scapegoats, not just because of where he's from, but because he has a very high profile relationship with a company that is very much in the public eye and seen as a steroid monster factory, although it's never been a problem until now. So why are we beginning? Why are we beginning a podcast about WrestleMania eight and nine with that? Because midway through this story, there's going to be a washout of wrestlers. Um, just, just people quitting, getting fired, all kinds of things. And it's literally everybody in the main event picture at the time. 
<laughs> and not only not only that, I, I like I liked how you said that it began in 88, like the discussions about the, you know, the steroids and all that stuff, mm-hmm. because it's quite apparent that from 88 onwards onto, you know, into the mid 90s, that body types drop like considerably from 88 onwards. So you can see that the pressure was on just by proxy of who was on your screen. We're, we'll get there in just a minute, but can we just talk about Roddy Piper between WrestleMania and WrestleMania 8? Like, how different he looks? The, the like, bloat goes down and down and down and down and down and down. He, he looks like he looks like fucking Daniel Bryan or Kenny Omega <laughs> against <laughs> Bret Hart in WrestleMania 8. And then if you look at him in WrestleMania 1, he's so round. He's, you know, he's not quite Don Morocco or Dino Bravo, but he is full of balloons. If you look No, at no, no. He looks he, he looks like a man. He's got that Arn Anderson build that, you know, that beach bod where you're in the middle of muscular and fat, but nobody looks at you cuz you got a good tan and you're like, "Man, that is a beefy man." That's what he nope. looked like. You can you can defend Roddy Piper all you want. He was clearly on the gas and was not in, which, in by, by WrestleMania eight, which he's admitted to. Like yeah. it's not a secret. Freaking every all the boys were, and at that time in the mid eighties, a lot of the stuff that was being used, they didn't really have the science of how to fight water retention down with these mm-hmm. things, and that's a lot of these guys had the bloat they called right. it, which Roddy was very much uh, a part of. Even you mentioned Hogan. Don Morocco, who was probably the bloat king at one point. But... Look at even like Hogan's face. Like you look at like the first two or three WrestleManias. I'll I'll move on from this in just a second, but look at Hogan's face in the first two or three. Yeah, how fat his face is, and when he comes back for WrestleMania nine how thin his face looks but it's like somebody who like if you ever see somebody who's i as somebody who's actually done this where you drop a lot of weight yeah you have that loose skin look at hogan's jowls he's he's not oh man he's not quite you know but he is definitely you can definitely see loose skin in his face by the time Uh, he hit wcw and thunder in paradise he was uh he was a skeleton of his former self really he really was all right so uh wrestlemania 7 ends with hogan beating slaughter and Warrior um, putting Savage out to pasture momentarily. He wins the retirement match. Um, shortly after that, by the way, uh, according to the AP, a federal jury on June 28th of 1991 convicted Dr. Zahorian. Um, after the trial, he said he admitted he sold bodybuilding drugs to Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper. This will become important later. Um Shortly after WrestleMania, the Hart Foundation disbands, and this is where we see the rise of Bret Hart. Um, SummerSlam 1991, Hart wins his first Intercontinental Championship by defeating Mr. Perfect, who's a big player in this two-year period. Um, Hogan and the Warrior defeat Colonel Mustafa, General Adnan, and Sergeant Slaughter, uh, as we all know. And, you know, we don't need to get into too much of the history here, but Warrior's gone after this until the following year's WrestleMania. This was the match made in heaven, match made in hell SummerSlam. So the other thing that happens here of note, and very important because it sets up the next it sets up the next feud which was supposed to lead into WrestleMania 8 but doesn't uh this is where we get the, the marriage the fake marriage as opposed to the real one which is actually ending in a divorce uh between Randy Savage and Elizabeth and like every wrestling wedding it is interrupted by local heel this time Jake Robert I think they're like opening gifts like you do at a wedding and like a snake pops out. Ah! A cobra. (laughs) Um, And that, of course, leads to Savage and Jake Roberts feuding for the remainder of the year. 
September 7th, Bret Hart defeats IRS in the finals of the King of the Ring. Again, we're slowly building up Bret Hart to where he's a, you know, we talked about in an earlier podcast that they had really tried to push Bret Hart earlier than this, like I think WrestleMania 4 around then, um, with his win over Bad News Brown. But uh, it, it he goes back to the Hart Foundation. This is second attempt, and they're really, really pushing him here. And then the most important thing of all for this podcast, on September 9th, 1991, Ric Flair, woo, arrives from WCW. Um, claiming to be the real world's champion and immediately begins feuding with skinny, skinny ass Roddy Piper. <laughs> and they would both captain teams at the Survivor Series, which we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, the Undertaker debuted in the WWF at the previous year's Survivor Series. And since then, the Undertaker had yet to be pinned on TV, on TV, on TV, which earned him a shot at Hulk Hogan at the Survivor Series, otherwise known as the Gravest Challenge. So, um, anything you want to highlight there, Pat, besides what I've talked about? Those are the big bullet points going into the era we're going to look at um, in terms of the stars we're seeing built. And we're going to get into some of the uh, more unfortunate circumstances of some of the stars who are no longer going to be with us from one show to the next. But th those are important notes to take a uh, hold of because we're going to see the elevation of Brett, uh, the Undertaker being more poised for a role and certain guys sliding down along the way. And yes, Roddy was very skinny at this time, but he was still ripped and he's still doing movies. The significance of this Survivor Series, Chris Bailey, is that this is the lead into an experiment they're going to call this Tuesday in Texas. Um, it's important to talk about that for this time period because they uh, they were experimenting with Tuesday pay-per-views. It does not go well, but the point of pushing The Undertaker the way that they have and setting him up against Hulk Hogan is they're hoping the return match, because Hulk Hogan ends up dropping the belt to The Undertaker in, at Survivor Series, um, will garner interest in a Tuesday pay-per-view and they can add more to the roster. Uh, it does not go well, Chris Bailey. It does not go well. This Tuesday in Texas, one of my um, <clears throat> one of the first pay-per-views that I ever seen on uh, pirated satellite stations. So there you go. I remember seeing, I think it was, <clears throat> who was it? Skinner fought right away. Skinner's. Yes, Brett and Skinner to open the show. We had, was it Jake and Macho and Hogan and Taker? Was that the card? Yes, and I think there was also, if I'm not mistaken, Tito, Santana, and Virgil against uh, the Repo Man and Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Main event anywhere in the country, brother. <laughs> but but I'll tell you what, I mean, uh, this was the genesis of the, uh, you know, you're talking about Ric Flair hitting the uh, Federation. He's doing the circuit. You know, Hogan was doing the A shows. Piper was uh, moonlighting with Flair on some of the B shows or the matinees. Uh, lots of moving parts. They were elevating The Undertaker here. Uh, and not only that, you get to see what I call the prototypical Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan match at this time, complete with the, you know, earn, missed earn shot to the head and the big boot and the leg drop. This was repeated about a billion and a half times across the circuit at this time. So, you know, they weren't getting anything new at this Tuesday in Texas. And to call it a little bit of a disappointment, probably an understatement, especially when fans were so high. Um, on The Undertaker. I mean, the fans had basically turned their back on Hulk Hogan for the first time, you know, like audibly on television because, you know, that reaction that The Undertaker got when he defeated Hulk Hogan at the Gravest Challenge was unbelievable. I mean, they were in The Undertaker's camp. So it was a turning of the tides and it wasn't in Hulk Hogan's favor. So here's what I want to talk to you guys about because uh, Ric Flair interferes in this match costing Hulk Hogan the title. He gets the title back at this Tuesday in Texas. They are clearly thinking, Chris, 
in November of November, December of 1991 that WrestleMania 8's going to be Flair versus Hogan. Okay. Flair, Ric Flair is all up in Hulk Hogan's business and will continue to be so. This is going to lead to the Royal Rumble 1992, where, uh, you know, because of the finish of this Tuesday in Texas, where there's unseen belercos and interference and all kinds of nonsense um, with Ric Flair responsible, the title is declared vacant. It gets put up uh, at the Royal Rumble, and Ric Flair ends up winning that. We'll talk about that in more in depth in a second. They were clearly from this point on building towards Ric Flair versus Hogan. This is where I kind of want to get your feedback, sir, because for how long did they hold on to the idea of that's where they were going? When did they switch tracks and why? Well, they started with the narrative that it was disappointing at the box office. So I want to dispel those rumors. Mm. So here you go. So the box office results at this time, if you're looking at a typical WWE house show, it's from six from low end 4,000 to 6,000. That was your average number, okay? okay November. Okay, oh, yeah. sorry. I, I just make sure you're giving me dates with the house shows. Here we go. You ready? Yep. Here, here, here comes your dates. We're going to start in October. So remember, the, 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 uh, the water line at this time was 6,000, maybe 7,000 if you're really, really good. They come out of the gate in um, October. 13,400, October 25th in Oklahoma. 13,400, October 26th, 12,400. Richmond, uh, 10,000. Let me see. We keep on going. We had the Philadelphia Spectrum with 10,318. Now, keep in mind, listen to this. Honolulu, December 14th. All these matches are basically Hulk Hogan going over Ric Flair via countout. There's one reverse decision early, early on in there. I think it was the first match they had. 18,000. In December 14th in Honolulu, 12,000 at the Philadelphia Spectrum, almost 13, 12,842, a sellout at the Boston Garden of 15,000. They even went to Quebec and almost had 11,000 in Quebec. So this narrative that Flair and Hogan didn't draw money, they were almost doing double houses. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't know where this this narrative came from, but uh, something really, really fell apart there somewhere along the lines. Was it Hulk Hogan jealousy? Was it Vince just not seeing it and doing his own thing? Was it we want to push Sid, not Flair? What was it? Pet? I think you might have the inside scoop on that one. Do you know what the capacity of seating for the Philadelphia Spectrum was? At the time, no. 18.5 is the average sellout capacity for the Philadelphia Spectrum, and they did right. 10. Philadelphia Spectrum in June and January 11th. Now, keep in mind, they've been going since October on this feud, okay? October, doing six to 6,000 to 7,000 houses. And they, in January 11th, 1992, they did almost 13,000. So, I so have think a- about that. It's, but here's the thing, because I hear what you're saying, and, and, and you're arguing that why wouldn't they have gone with WrestleMania being Hogan versus Flair when yep. when it's working on the house, or certainly it'll work on television and pay-per-view. Definitely. But they didn't do that with Hogan and Andre. Like, the lead-in to WrestleMania 3 is not them doing it on the house show. They're not doing it with Hogan and Savage in the lead-in to WrestleMania 5. They're not doing it with Hogan and Warrior in the lead-in to 6. They're not doing it with Hogan and, and Slaughter in the lead-in to 7. Right. It's weird that they would come out of, like, why didn't Flair 
work with Savage on the house shows? Why didn't you work well, work with Piper? He was doing Piper. It was Piper and Hogan. Piper and yeah, Hogan. Yeah. That's he my point. Like, why, why, why do Hogan at all is my question. You have to test okay. the water in the toes and the markets that Flair is not familiar to your audience with mm-hmm. to yep. a certain level. And, and so it's necessary. So the first match they have is in October of 91, and it's in Dayton, Ohio. Um, which is an odd place to do the first match, but I guess yeah, they're, you know, they're not counting. They're counting on Dayton, not really pirating it out or anything. But but again, you, you take it to your biggest market. So the first Hogan Flair meeting in Madison Square Garden is in November of 1991, and it does a decent number. It does 15,000 when the yep. capacity is 22. So you do about a two-thirds house there, and and houses in Madison Square Garden have been down to that point anyway. And not only that, heavily, heavily papered as well during this time. A lot of these 7,000 house shows that they were getting, about, you know, 2,000 of that is paper. And here's the, I think here's the big pivot point. They come back with it in December, the next month, almost exactly a month to the day, and they lose 4,000 ticket sales. That's a big, that's a big dip in your most significant market in how they run their business. And you're doing a half a house with the guys who are supposed to carry your WrestleMania in the Hoosier Dome, which has already been booked, which is an 80,000-seat venue. Now, some of these shows, too, Pat, are matinees. So typically, uh, when you're talking about the marketing in local areas, when I did my research, a lot of these didn't even get like a week's worth of notice to say that Flair and Hogan were on the card. It was advertised differently where they had like um, Roddy Piper at the top of the card or... Uh, someone else in that position, you know what I mean? And the Hogan Flair thing came after the fact. So, you know, they weren't really selling it on the Hogan Flair rematch at that time can until I the pos- week of. Can I posit a theory? It's just a conspiracy theory. Kirk um, Cobain was murdered, but also. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, wa- I'm wondering in the back of everyone's mind, because we all know Vince McMahon was in love with Hulk Hogan. And there were a lot of nonsensical decisions being made to favor Hulk Hogan at the time. And I'm just wondering if they promised Ric Flair a, a bag of goods. You know, they're like, come in, you'll be a big star. We'll put you with Hogan. And then there was a thought in the back of like Vince's mind. And then by, you know, subsequently like Pritchard and everybody that, well, we don't want a situation where Flair overshadows Hulk Hogan, do we? Let's go ahead and create a situation. And maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But let's create a situation where we have a rationale to not do Hogan versus Flair for WrestleMania. And subsequently, let's start to damage Ric Flair's veneer. Because we don't want a situation where where Flair becomes a bigger star in this company than Hulk Hogan does. I got, a question. I, got, I got a question for you, Mark. What's, yes, what's, your, fa- what's your favorite band? For the sake of this conversation, oh, we'll say overall. For the sake of this conversation, we'll say Metallica. Metallica, okay. So Metallica comes to Florida. Mark's excited. It's COVID. You're going to Metallica, right? You're going. You're you're there. Correct? Yep. Sure. All right. You're you're there. I have my mask okay. on. You got your mask on. By God, it's October 2021. You're in the house for Metallica. Melissa mm-hmm. is freaking out. She's wearing the t-shirt with you. She's loving it. Sure. Now, they come back again in December. You're like, oh, look, it's my favorite band, Melissa. Metallica's back. You right. may go a second time, but guess what? Probably 40% of those people who went the first time are probably not going to show up for the second time. Am right. I mistaken? Now, yeah. how about if it hit the third time? How about they came back in January? <laughs> how excited are you, Mark? I see your point, Chris. Yes, exactly. 
But um, that's not their their irregular business structure for how they had done things. Now I know pay per views correct. That's true. At this point, but you, generally, whenever you had a top tier program that you did at the arenas, specifically your big arenas, your Spectrums, your Madison Square Garden, your Boston Garden, the old Northeast strongholds, and even out in California when you went to the LA Sports Arena, the the goal was to build the business each time if you didn't sell out the first time. So, like for example, right. Hogan's first MSG program with Don Morocco went from a 75% gate to a 90% gate to a sellout gate within that three month window because wow. they created a product that was good, enjoyable, and people wanted to see again. Or people who didn't get into maybe the first one said, oh, you know, I got to catch this on the way back. And there's that. When you have the, the perceived, and we'll say perceived, two biggest wrestling stars of, of the past decade, and they're finally going to meet. And one, they don't sell out the first time. That's not a good indicator of, of where your market is. But they but weren't also, selling out anywhere. They were they were doing quarter houses at the time. Right, but, but to that point, this is the thing that's supposed to bring you back up and put you back in the sellout range, and it doesn't do that. So the window we're talking about is roughly October to December, and then by January, they pulled the plug on this and went in a different direction. All right. Yes. So, not yeah. only not only that. So we got to leave with this. We'll mm -hmm. end this here. Um, this program was not on television. Right. They did not. They did not talk about Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair, like outside of, you know, him bragging that he has the real world championship on television. They didn't advertise that these matches were physically happening on TV. So to the general public, Hogan versus Flair never happened. Okay, right. unless you had the MSG network when you got to see a couple of these things. So just to clarify, th this Tuesday in Texas, which was six days after Survivor Series, Flair defeats Roddy Piper, ending that feud more or less. Randy Savage defeats Jake Roberts. Um, Hulk Hogan uh, beats The Undertaker, but Flair is at ringside. Jack Tunney gets, uh, takes a bump. Um, there's all kinds of problems, as I said before. And the the even though Hogan wins back his title, for the for the fans, the title is held up and declared vacant. Um, so that brings us to uh, or a quick note. Zahorian on December 27th, 1991, sentenced to three years in prison and two years probation. This is important because he ends up becoming a witness for the prosecution in the uh, or assisting in the prosecution of the McMahon steroid trial. But we'll, more on that next podcast. So Bret Hart loses the IC title. To the Mountie, he's brave and he's handsome and he's strong. On January 17th, 1992, and the Royal Rumble happens two days later. Uh, Flair, uh, of course, wins the Rumble with a tear in his eye. This is the happiest moment of his life. Great dad. Um, <laughs> and um, in the Royal Rumble, it should be noted that Sid Justice um, was eliminated by Hogan who, um, sorry, Justice eliminated Hogan, who in turn helped Flair eliminate Justice, leading to their match, their mania match. Da, 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 da. Roddy Piper defeats the Mountie, uh, leading into his match with Brett the Hitman Hart at WrestleMania 8. On January 27th at Saturday night's main event number 30, the second to last one of this era. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pat. There's going to be one more after this, and then we're done. I, I, unless you count the Fox special, if I'm not mistaken. I think they did two okay. in the Fox special. Um, so end of an era here, just about. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You know what? I think this is the last NBC one in the final two aired on Fox, so I'll apologize. Uh, did, did, you, did you mention the um, the Mountie losing or winning the title from Bret Hart? I did. Okay. Uh, and Piper winning it? You never mentioned that Piper won I, it. Nope. So he's now the IC champion. Said both things. 
Bret Hart lost the title mm. to the Mountie at a house show January 17th. Two days later is the Rumble, at which Roddy, at which time Roddy Piper defeats the Mountie, leading to their match with uh, Bret Hart. Gotcha. All righty. <laughs> Saturday night's main event number 30, which airs February 8th, 1992. Hogan and Sid Justice with uh, the smashed taste of Brutus Beefcake. Um, oh, wait, that's next year. <laughs> Why did you just have to be his face? <laughs> that's next year. Hold on. I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. Defeats Ric Flair and The Undertaker. No, Beefcake was there. No, I know, but he hadn't smashed his face yet. I'm, yes, I'm he had. Going into... Oh, wait, when did that happen? Because I thought that, that was the... That one happened in not. July of 1990. He's now finally oh, okay. just back on TV hosting the barbershop, and he's going to stand by his best friend, the Hulkster. Cool. Got it. So, smashed face beefcake. <laughs> Got it. Um... <laughs> smashed potato face beefcake, yes. <laughs> and then Randy Savage once again defeats Jake Roberts. Um, I have a note here. I'm just going to read this, and then, Pat, you can kind of chime in. After losing the match, an enraged Robert waited backstage for Savage and Elizabeth to arrive while announcing that he's going it doesn't to hit- matter which one of them comes through first. <laughs> uh, he's going to hit him with a steel chair. Uh, Roberts reared back when he saw Elizabeth come through the entrance, but the Undertaker, dun dun dun, grabbed Just the chair. Who in and- the hell do you think you are? And whose side are you on? You say it to me. Not and this leads to Jake Roberts and the Undertaker meeting at WrestleMania. Um, so at this point, this is what leads off Flair feuding with Savage because what, Chris? What what was Flair and Elizabeth before uh, Savage and Elizabeth? She was mine before she was yours. <laughs> yes, indeedy. All right, and that re- leads to WrestleMania eight. So let's talk about it. Let's break this down. Well, remember uh, they initially were going to do. They announced at that bogus press conference they held Hogan Flair. Mm-hmm. And then once Sid went ape and abandoned Hogan in this tag match and then destroyed the barbershop and threatened the beefer, Hogan decided it was time to give up his title shot. and He was going to take vengeance and make sure this Sid didn't, you know, do anything out of line. And that cleared the way for Randy Savage to get the title shot. And now Flair, needing a psychological edge, talks about his past with Elizabeth. All right. So by this point, and I know we talked about this in the last podcast, at this point, um, the Rockers have broken up. Marty oh. Jannetty went through the went through the barbershop window. He tried to Sean, escape. And Sean, um, now they who supposed no him and Sean were supposed to have a feud. Uh, but for what happened to Marty Pat, real quick? First of many arrests where he and a female accomplice got into a brawl with Florida police officers. Which leads to Sean Michaels, as managed by the sensational Sherry taking on uh perennial WrestleMania <laughs> curtain jerker, Tito Santana. Now the Matador. Did you, know that, did you know that his sister sang the national anthem for this WrestleMania, Mark? I did not, but that's yeah. interesting. Ariba McIntyre. <laughs> well done. Well done, <laughs> Pat Heenan. Wait, I was going to say, thanks, Jesse. <laughs> All right. So, Chris Bailey, 50 words or less, Sean versus Tito. I mean, basic, basic match. I mean, this went 10 minutes. It felt like an eternity at the time. And I'm a big Shawn Michaels fan, as well as Tito Santana. However, I mean, paint by numbers match. Shawn Michaels gets the big win over a seasoned veteran. And, you know, all is well in the world. And Shawn Michaels left the building five minutes later. So there you go. He certainly did. So I I need to No, it's the next one, I think, where no, it's this one. Fucking Gorilla Monsoon is like screaming at Bobby. <laughs> it's really like he always got along like congenially with with Ventura, and Ventura, you know, definitely 
tweaked Gorilla Monsoon's nipples, but they all, but it was always like a pleasant broadcast to listen to. Dude, Gorilla Monsoon sounds like he's about to murder Bobby Heenan. Oh, Bobby, oh, Bobby plays yeah. up being a goofy idiot a lot more, and Gorilla's <laughs> the straight man. You got to do it. Jesse, much more logical and dishonest, but Heenan just an idiot at points of time. It, and my, you, you got you favorite, got tons of will you stop? Yeah, my favorite so commentary great. exchange ever between Heen and the Monsoon is on this show. There is more heat and more anger between Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby <laughs> Heen in this broadcast than there is in any single one of these matches in the Hoosier Correct. Realm. Yeah, I, of course. I, I was I, more entertained by that I, than everything. I honestly wish that, that had been the main event. I wish like Gorilla Monsoon had just thrown down his headset, be like, fuck this shit, and just marched Bobby Heenan into the ring, shoved Hulk Hogan and sit out of the ring, and they had their own match. You get and it they... sort of in January, but you know. <laughs> Is that when he threw Bobby Heenan out of uh off out the of set? Monday Night Raw? Yeah, okay. Um, and then he shows up in WCW. The then be what who is it that shook him? Um, it was like, ouch, my neck. Oh, it was uh, Brian Pillman. Brian That's, that was right. Okay, Brian Brian. The Undertaker uh, takes on Jake Roberts in less than seven minutes. Oof. Pat, what do you think? I know I know you and Jed and I, Jed, formerly of the Casual Heroes and any damn podcast he chooses, we spend an entire, get this, Bailey, you think we're negative now. We should have seen this podcast where it was just me, Pat, and Jed for an hour bashing The Undertaker. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, boy, oh, boy. We were pretty stiff. So, <laughs> start us good off because back. he wasn't in this match. <laughs> what did you think of good old Jake at the end of his uh, run here? Long run uh, versus yeah. the Undertaker. Just just under seven years, which is crazy. Um, Jake Jake leaves this match, uh, changing the finish on it, where he takes the tombstone on the outside, which they were specifically telling him not to do because it's too graphic for the family content. Um, but Jake at this point had basically allegedly, according to him, been promised a writing job. And Pat Patterson spot as head writer because Pat was stepping down because of the Ring Boy scandal at the time. And instead, they told Jake, hey, we're going to not hire anyone for a while out of respect to Pat, who had just resigned. Jake demanded the money he was owed and back pay for this and said if he didn't get it, he wasn't going out to the ring. And he says he's embarrassed in hindsight by that for creating a holdup situation. And then went out, had the match. It's a nothing kind of match, although I love Jake's airbrushed tights. They were pretty cool, man, one of my favorites. Taker is Taker. He stinks. He's a big robot who doesn't sell and does whatever. And Jake carries the match for a little while, does a good promo before it, and on to WCW and Cowboy Bill Watts. All right. Um, Boy, the, tombs, the tombstone at the end of this one on the on the ring mats is one of the worst ever delivered. He did not, He doesn't come five feet from his head hitting that mat. I mean, it's, it's awful. Tombstone. Just, yeah, it was a cane tombstone. Horrible. This is a two match show. This is match number one of those, of the two matches that are good versus the rest, which is a meh to ugh. there's, there's two good matches on this show. There are two, uh, Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. This is the only one I know is Savage know. and flair is delicious was, as well. I was going to say Savage and flair. And I think depending on your preferences, you can put one over the other or the other versus over one. For me, I actually prefer Bret Hart versus Roddy Piper. Their pre-match interview for this is hysterical, where, like, for some odd reason, Roddy Piper's take on Bret Hart is, aren't you a cute little child? And Bret Hart's like, I'm a <laughs> yes. man. And, like, but, but Roddy Piper's like, okay. You know? Mrs. Hart would make the bologna sandwiches. You only get one oh. piece of bologna, but that's okay. <laughs> and they're, and, they're, and, they're, and Roddy Piper's just trying to have some fun with our old Canadian friend. And there's Bret Hart going, I'm super serial. 
Yeah, so, he's, he's he's like the super curmudgeon who was having none of you know Uncle Roddy's uh, banter. And then yeah, he tries but, to get one up on Roddy. Hey, I'd have had you. And then Roddy takes his belt out of his belt and said, "No, you wouldn't have." <laughs> That's so good. It's the second best part of this, besides Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan. My favorite commentary exchange ever in this match. <laughs> so you um, gotta remember when I was champion, Monsoon. Champion of what? Of the neighborhood. I had the pretty state on the block that week. Oh, just, you know. <laughs> uh, Please stop. The, uh, Piper versus um, Piper versus Roddy Bret Hart. Uh, Bret Hart wins. He wins back the IC title as you knew he would. Uh, this is just under 15 minutes. This is great. This is one of the best matches on the card, uh, Chris. This is uh, this was probably the match that this entire show was based on. To be quite honest with you, they had a nice build. You know, it's it's a face versus face match. IC title won a Piper's uh, Piper's only single title match in the WWE uh, title. That he wore, wasn't it? Did he win another singles belt while he was there? No, I don't think. Right. So it's his literally his only WWE WWF singles championship, and he loses it to Bret Hart here. So you know when you're talking about Bret Hart's trajectory, this is the match that put him over the top. To be quite honest with you, everybody talks about the Bret Hart Mister um, Perfect match at SummerSlam, but this one is is probably technically nuts and bolts better. To be quite honest with you, and of course the finish is one that we would see repeated over and over and over for years. It's when, you know, one guy's got his opponent locked up in the full Nelson, or yes, the full Nelson, and the other guy kicks off on the buckles and rolls over right into a pin, and just a beautiful finish to a beautiful match, and I was I was super enthralled with it. Loved in it. De- in defense of Bret Hart, here they are trying to push this guy. Clearly they have main event um, on their mind for him, If you know, if not like the guy, maybe the 1B guy. You know, maybe he's the guy the main guy fights. And except that he wins the title, loses the title, wins the title, loses the title, wins the title, loses the title. And then he's, but you know, and then he's the, um, the bridesmaid after the bottom falls out and everyone leaves, including Ric Flair. And it's like, I know that, you know, Bret Hart right here, right now, he'd like, but I was popular in India. Okay, Brett, who fucking cares? You know, you, you got, (laughs) you you had, I don't like how, they would push and de push and push and de push Brett. Like he's there, but you look, think about like the warrior. The warrior smashes the honky talk man and then goes like on an undefeated streak for a year going into his title match with Hulk Hogan. You know, very Randy Savage very rarely lost a match on television in his run up to his initial championship. And then here you have Bret Hart, who's like very publicly and very visibly losing matches and then, you know, winning them and losing them and winning them and losing them. I mean, and I bring this up because shortly after this, he's going to lose the title in a main event to the British Bulldog. And that, and we'll talk about what happens after the fact, but my point being, if you're just a casual like kid fan, how do you buy into Bret Hart? Who's very inconsistent, Pat? It was tough because and honestly, at this time, Brett's arguably the most popular wrestler they have with the dwindling audience that they're still mm-hmm. retaining because Brett's just one of those guys who's been there and been consistent. And as the audience has grown up with them, they've kind of come to understand like what makes an entertaining match versus what doesn't. And Brett's generally always in an entertaining match and makes you feel good about what you're watching. Like you, you were enthralled by what was going on, right. which a lot of the other guys at this point don't have. Um, and, and Brett, you saw him kind of, it's almost like you come to understand the natural progression of things where Brett's felt more earned because you saw him as a tag team wrestler. You saw him go into the intercontinental title range and become a singles wrestler and go there. And then eventually when he ascends to the main events, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I've been with this guy the whole time. I I appreciate this. And I think it's 
the 50-50 booking isn't quite 50-50 at this point. Mm-hmm. It's more a case of we're going to get you to the top of the roller coaster, but we're not going to go over the top. We're going to just pull it back and not set right. the thrill ride for you. And it becomes more problematic, which we'll talk about in later shows, as he's world champion and what they do with his booking there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even a little bit later on in this episode. Right. Because it's just – for a guy who's so consistent, they're not looking so much for consistency as they are for something that's going to put them over the top, like a Hulk Hogan, like a short-term Ultimate Warrior time frame. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that, so they have to consistently keep going back to him. But you kill his momentum by doing that because you've never given him the chance to fully bloom in that sense. Right. I don't want to skip to the end of the show, so I'll save what I'm thinking about in the back of my head for the end. But it is amazing to me that Brett got – people put Brett over – Big time wrestlers, Ric Flair, put people over. You said big time, and then you said Ric Flair. That's a mistake. Mm, you're gonna upset Chris Bailey. Um, you're, you know, but like there are people who went who went out of their way to put Brett over, but it's always in the basement with the lights out and the door locked behind. You know, behind the sign that says "Beware of the Leopard." Like he, <laughs> he never, he never really gets his like bright shining moment in the sun like the Warrior or Hogan or Savage does. All right, let's move on. Um, so after that, we have Bossman, Virgil, Slaughter, and Duggan. This is Slaughter who started doing the Pat. How does it go again? How, what did Slaughter do after WrestleMania 7? I want my country back. He <laughs> did, Ollie. Terrible. <laughs> Bossman, Virgil, Slaughter, and Duggan took on the Nasty Boys. The Prayers to Hacksaw, who went into the hospital this morning for emergency surgery out of nowhere. So. Yeah, Keep hacks on good thoughts and spirits, everybody. Uh, so that's an eight man tag, and the faces went over the heels. Bailey, anything on this one? Oh, this was dreadful. This is this is your your mid card comedy filler, and did nothing for me. I was uh, I couldn't even watch it on on this viewing. Just getting ready for this show, uh, it was it was literally I tried, I tried, I tried, and then my hand reached the remote, and that was it. Yep. Um, all right, so let's let's move over to this the other big match of this one, the only other good one. Randy Savage mm-hmm. defeats Ric Flair, who had uh, you know won the title in just a few short months ago in, in January at the Royal Rumble with Perfect in his corner. Uh, and this goes almost 20 minutes. I, I don't know, Pat. I, do I like it more than Roddy Piper, uh, Bret Hart? No, but it's I think it's an outstanding match. What do you think? I think it deviates from standard flair formula in certain mm-hmm. respects, which is good because Savage just didn't want to do that because Randy is a, is a pro's pro and like he wants to have a great match. He doesn't want to do the silly, hey, look, flair's on the top. Let's throw him off. Hey, let's Irish whip him and he'll come out for a back body drop repeatedly. He wanted to do different things. He wanted his leg worked over so the figure four would mean something in the match. Um, it, you know, and then you had a lot of Henning Furance. This is the most physical Kurt Henning ever gets as a manager where he chokes him with the belt. He gets in like, it's a lot of Henning Furance in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, giant complaining about. Um, but I, I think it's still a lot of goofy flair stuff. Brett has always been very critical of the blade job that flair did. That's very evident, which is a no. Yeah. <laughs> when they had a very strict, no blading policy. Whereas the mm-hmm. one Brett in his match with Roddy comes after the spot where Roddy tells him his shoelace is untied, hits him with a left hook. You know, but accidentally says they caught him over the eye and they do a little fake dust up in the back to really sell the boys on it that it was real. And it looks much more professional and polished. I, I just, you know, Flair's goofy sellings here, doing all the constant Flair stick that I never found entertaining or cool. And a lot of the WWF audience didn't either. I, I don't think much of this match. I think the finish is kind of flat with Andy pulling the tights. It's like, why, 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 why are we doing that? Like, I, I, I just, it didn't feel like a WrestleMania main event. It didn't feel like a WWF title match. Hard pass for me on this one. 
Well, I know Bailey has a uh, counterpoint to all of that, but I, and I want you to have your say, Bailey. But I also want you to answer the following question: Do you uh -oh. think they should have? Do you think they should have headlined instead of Sid, uh, Sid Hogan? Yes, absolutely, I do. I mean, you, you, this got a heavy, heavy, heavy push on TV. It was the centerpiece to superstars, the challenge, all that type of stuff. The whole storyline with Elizabeth, um, you know, she was mine before she was yours. The whole thing that resonated on TV a lot more than anything to do with Hogan and Sid. You know what I mean? Hogan and Sid was seemingly an afterthought and they didn't even tease that, you know, something special could happen at the end. So what was the reason why you would be more invested in the Hulk Hogan versus Sid only with the minor tease of this could be Hulk Hogan's last match. That was all we got out of that one. So, you know, that was what they were spearheading it with, but man, I loved this match. So as Pat said, this was not your typical Ric Flair formula. So Savage took him outside of the box on this one. And results were a little bit mixed. Is it a flawless match? Absolutely not. You got to see a few stumbles and fumbles from the Nature Boy. He was at a sink a little bit on times. And the finish. So people criticize the finish. So he, he punches or he goes to swing and a miss. Ric Flair's got his leg up in the air. Um, he goes to swing at Randy Savage. He ducks, goes for the roll-up, hook of the tights, and gets the pin. Hook of the tights. So Randy Savage beats the dirtiest player in the game with his own dirty tricks. And I think that's the story of this match. And then you got to see basically the final you know, the final embrace of Hogan and Liz. And I think I get a little bit emotional when I think about this, because this is the last time they're together. Technically, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? In a big, in a big setting. And I mean, the fireworks are going off. This is the end of Randy and Liz and man. Uh, I, I just wanted, I just thought that Ric Flair was going to win this match. I was totally convinced. And when Savage, who at the time was my all-time favorite wrestler, got this win, I was over the moon excited like nothing else. So, you know, it really, uh, it really took me to the next level in, in excitement-wise. Loved it. So, you know, they're, they're trying, the, the WWE is trying to plug the holes in their roster. You'll notice that this WrestleMania, there's a lot of people missing from the last previous two or three. A lot of the stars are not on this one, um, but they're trying to replace them. And one of the guys they're trying to replace some stars with and merely make some hay out of is fucking Tatanka. Who gives a shit about Tatanka? Nobody. Nobody does. No. Nope. Um, but he he beats Rick Martel, who, you know, who's still doing the model gimmick. And he's, boy, is he trying. Pat, this was less than five minutes and... This contributes to my overall thought of this pay-per-view, which I will share with you in a moment. You know, Tatanka was a good look. Mm -hmm. Very much the look of a warrior, if you will, in case you couldn't get one again. And much more reality-based, you know, mm -hmm. leaning on Native American roots as opposed to spaceships and rocket fuel and all yep. signs of assorted goods. Uh, and they, they really do try with him. He has a two-year mm -hmm. undefeated streak. A lot of people forget I don't think Tatanka, as, as, and as a babyface, I like Tatanka. I don't think he was a bad worker. I don't think he was exemplary, but I think he had a little something, just not a star level something. Uh, when he turns heel, he's just garbage. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, like there's yeah. nothing there. So but they tried, and he, he tried to the best of his abilities. It just never went anywhere. So Ted DiBiase has been with this company for 100 years, and they, they, they partnered him up with Mike Rotunda, and they've called, of course, Mike Rotunda IRS. Um, and they form a team called Money Inc., which might have been my favorite tag team of this era. And they are taking on my other favorite tag team, The Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon. But Chris Bailey, that's not the match that was supposed to happen. We were supposed to get a different team versus IRS, right? 
we were supposed to get the Legion of Doom. Ah, God, but that was not going to happen. Apparently, was it was it Mr. Hawk who decided to have his demons against Pat? Was that the reason that the the LOD didn't show up here? I, I don't think Hawk was on. A, I think Hawk was on a suspension at this point. For, ah, okay, there uh, you go. Yeah, for a pop again, popped hot for pissing hot for steroids. <laughs> like, no doubt. Also, I can always see in the back of my head Animal going, "Yeah, we're not doing a televised job." So there you go. Yeah. But why do we, why do we like the finishes in some of these matches are, are just crazy. And I mean, when you have a tag team title match end in a count out again, like does anyone beat money Inc at this time? Fair and square only on house shows. Apparently. <laughs> anyway, this match sucks. Um, the yes, match disasters win by count out. Who cares? Um, speaking of who cares? I can't believe this is as high up on the card as it was. Owen Hart and Skinner. Oh, you shut your damn mouth. Mark Radlich, shut your I, damn mouth. I love, Owen Hart as, I love Owen Hart as much as everybody, but why is this not opening the show? Like, how do you not trade this and Shawn Michaels versus who's they, they didn't think they didn't think the crowd was gonna go get concessions and snacks during Money Inc. versus the disasters. So they needed something else in there for them to go get concessions and snacks and t-shirts and such for. Here, here's a here's a hot take. They didn't have two lame ass women to fill in the traditional women before the main event spot. So it went to Owen Hart and Skinner. Oh, bring that. <laughs> And you know, it's true. Like Chris Bailey, folks, on uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not Chris Bailey. You can find Jesse Starcher at no, I'm kidding. And then our main event, Hulk Hogan, who will be taking a hiatus after this, defeats Sid Justice, who will be taking a hiatus shortly after this. Uh, <laughs> in, 13, in 13, why did the company do so poorly after this main why event? Why didn't they understand there was softball season coming up? So yeah, <laughs> both your main Avengers are about to fuck off after this match, and I wonder why the bottom falls out of this company. Um, but anyway, Hulk Hogan defeats Sid. The Warrior comes back. Papa Shango run-ins. Um, the, the ghost of fucking <laughs> uh, just everybody. Everybody got involved in this match, and it ends in it ends in shenanigans. It actually ends with Hulk Hogan and Warrior like embracing, and there's a really funny thing to, to watch because like. Hulk Hogan does his thing, and Warrior always had his own thing. Warrior, very distinct from Hulk Hogan. They had their own stuff going on to get engaged with the crowd. Watch Warrior closely at the end of this match. It's like I don't remember thing one from Hogan versus it because it sucks balls. But I, but I remember Hulk Hogan doing like you know his poses, and then there's the Warrior. You know, <laughs> he's coming. He's everything Hogan does. The warrior does, and you can see kind of Hogan like stop gimmick infringing me, bro. I, I mean, if you look at it now, keep in mind this is ninety two, and if you look at Warrior and Hogan ninety, mm. Warrior and Hogan ninety two, mm. you only need about half the screen you needed from the first one to fit both of them in on this one. Right. Yep. And Hogan stick ain't gonna change. People still want to see him hit. You know that. Yeah. But Warrior can't exactly do the pump up thing because mm -hmm. he ain't exactly as pumped up as he used to be. Uh, nope he hit uh, he hit the uh, the pin cushion there, my friend. He uh, something happened. He deflated. He went to Thunder in Paradise, starring the Ultimate Warrior. Which makes what happens later on in the year that much more puzzling. But let's get yes. there. All right. So um, WrestleMania Seven is the worst pay per view up to this point. It is in terms of WrestleMania, WrestleMania Seven or Eight. Well, we haven't gotten to Eight yet, Time Traveler. We're in WrestleMania 8, right? Talking about it. I'm sorry. We are talking. That's what I meant. Sorry. I apologize. WrestleMania 8 is the worst WrestleMania up to this point. It'll be outdone by 9. 
no in, in in pattern of what's the what's to come um because then eventually we're gonna get to 11 but uh wrestlemania 8 is really i think the first one in a lot of people's minds that truly sucked like i think i think i think two sucked harder than eight there are people myself included who defend to and it's early enough to where the company was still kind of finding a national identity that you can forgive a lot of it you know they don't have they start to gather all their stars but it isn't until three that they've really got like you know the all-star club if you want if you want to put it in perspective, Survivor Series 1991 did a, or I'm sorry, not Survivor Series, SummerSlam 1991 did 405,000 pay-per-view buys. Mm-hmm. WrestleMania 8 did 390,000 pay-per-view buys. Ouch. Yeah, I like, I talked about this in, in the last show, that WrestleMania 6, The Rock hits the windshield, but you don't necessarily start to see cracks. 7, you start to see a crack, but the car's still drivable. Now you've got a crack across the driver's side in this one. And then at 8, it just shatters. I'm sorry. I keep saying, I keep doing that. At nine, the whole windshield just shatters, and you're just right. You're just driving with your head out the window like a dog. Um, this is awful, Pat. This is such a bad show. It's an awful show. I only enjoy. I only genuinely enjoy one match on this show. Mm-hmm. And if it was not for Gorilla and Bobby and their amazing commentary throughout, I would not be able to watch any of this show other than that said match. Even Hogan taking a power bomb, which is a cool visual because it didn't happen. Yeah. Doesn't do anything for me. As a, and as a kid uh, who loved the Ultimate Warrior, Warrior comes back. Eh, everything's no. I didn't really care all that much because he didn't look like the Ultimate Warrior. I was like, who's this guy in the face paint? Exactly. That's why everyone exactly thought he was right. dead for a while. And he was replaced by Paul Roma or some shit. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Hogan, Jake Roberts, and Piper all take hiatuses after this WrestleMania. Um, Sid is largely unsuccessful in post WrestleMania matches against the Warrior and the Undertaker, and eventually leaves the company. But he comes back just in time for the entire company to be n- on the verge of bankruptcy in 1995. Good timing, Sid. Uh, we are now we're supposed to be going to SummerSlam elsewhere, but it eventually lands in Wembley Stadium, changing up the entire card and focusing on the main event, which will be. Uh, Bret Hart putting over his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, in the inter- um, for the Intercontinental title. So in your mid-tier um, World Championship bout, we have the Ultimate Warrior against Randy Savage. Yet again, This he defeats him by count-out because Flair and Perfect get involved, and that's supposed to lead to their match at Survivor Series. More on that in a moment. The British Bulldog, who they are pushing into a main event slot, gets his big IC title win in Wembley Stadium in front of an all British crowd and all of that. It's a, it's a, it's one of like one of, this is an outstanding match, the British Bulldog and Bret Hart, but it's also like one of those premier moments in WWE history. It's one of the ones that always makes like the package. Um, at a house show on September 1st in 1992 in Hershey, Pennsylvania, Flair defeats Savage for the world title with help from newcomer Razor Ramon. And this aired on the September 14th edition of WWF Primetime Wrestling. And I ask you, Chris Bailey, why would they put that on Primetime Wrestling and not on a more featured stage? Good God, is there is there an attempt to literally bury this company and the talent any further you know, than, than making these moves? Holy you know, ding dong. Do you guys know the real story behind this? What is it? They effed up the first match that they taped so bad that Vince made them go out and do it again. Oh, with the yeah, with with Ramon and um, and Savage, yeah, that's correct. So when you, that's exactly what happened. So they the guys get back through the curtain. Vince McMahon blows a gasket. He sends them back 
they basically do an impromptu restart in front of the crowd and they go right to the finish. So that's exactly what happened here. This match had to be heavily edited in post. It was, it was a mess. It's two matches in one that you've seen on TV. So you've never seen the original match in its entirety. It's, it's a piecemeal of both matches. Part of the reason why I, you know, I talked to you guys offline about this, I said it's so hard. Like I really had to like sit down and compose notes for this show, and I, I couldn't just do it free for like I've done with a few others because it's so convoluted. And that's because like half of what happens that's important is not captured on film. It is not on any of the major broadcasts. It's all like house shows or taped or shown later on a VHS tape. It's like this is the weirdest two year period in terms of content production where. All the important stuff seems to happen off camera and all like the non-important stuff that, or aggravating well, things happen fair, on camera. In those re-edited matches or matches, or matches that mm-hmm. can't air on TV, who's the common denominator? Who's the common denominator, Baron Von Awesome? Woo! Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's the burial. It has begun. The shovels are out. The ditches are dug. I, I swear to God, this, you know, and you could call this the rise and fall of Flick, Ric Flair. Or you could call it WWF and uh, how to cut off one's nose to spite one's face. That's exactly what's happening, Radlich. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So shortly before Survivor Series 1992, um, which was supposed to be Savage and the Warrior teaming up against Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. The Ultimate Warrior leaves the company in under suspicious circumstances. The two possible reasons, Chris, and I want you to very quickly weigh in on this, which one you think it is. The two possible reasons that have been posited for his departure are one, allegations of steroid abuse, even though he is much smaller than he was. And the other is that um, they had... I, I guess he was not going to be factored into the main event scene. Um, and he was pissed. So, you know, he was like, I, I will go, I will go on YouTube and, and talk about, talk about the, all the things go ahead, uh, Chris. And then Pat, what do you, what do you know? What do you think about warriors departure shortly before survivor series? No, I don't know the full story here because isn't this the second time that they had this super falling out? One was the SummerSlam one. Uh, this one, this one, I think was more or less conflict with McMahon. I think he really wanted the warrior out of the picture. Did he not, Pat? No, this is actually, cause this involves warrior and Davey. Cause they both basically oh. disappear around this time. Right. Um, because steroids were illegal. Yep. There was another substance that was not illegal at the time that warrior and Davey were experimenting with called human growth hormone. Ah. And basically warrior and Davey had been receiving shipments of human growth hormone together. And while that technically at the time was not truly federally regulated as to what you could use, what you couldn't use, et cetera, it did fall under the lines of a substance that you were not allowed to use according to WWE's uh, standards and practices at the time. So they were found to have received shipments of it. And they, WWF, which is in the midst of not only just steroid investigations, but investigations due to the Ring Boy sex scandal, doesn't want anything muddling things up. So they basically released both guys from their contracts based on conduct violations. And what was is- what was the um, not the storyline reason, but there there was an alternate reason put there by the dirt sheets and all that stuff prior to like avoiding the entire steroid thing. Do you recall what that was? I'm pretty sure. And again, I think it's hard to manipulate this one because it was both guys who were involved yeah. in the movie at the yeah, same yeah. time. So I think I think the sheets kind of went into business for themselves. I know there was yeah, talk that, agree with you. like Warrior not wanting to do any jobs or anything like Ringo. that. And exactly. 
the long-term plan was alleged that it was going to be Warrior and uh, Brett at Royal Rumble for the title, and Warrior was going to put him over clean to really help establish Brett. Like Mark was talking about earlier, he never gets that moment. That's what I was alluding to. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. They in the notes that I read, they actually had planned for Warrior to go against Brett and um, at the ninety-two at the ninety-three Royal Rumble, um, but that doesn't happen. The um, oh, real quick, I I was it Dark Side or was it the A and E biography where they talked about the, the Warrior legit didn't know he was he was breaking any rules, like like he um he's using the human growth hormone, but he doesn't think he's in violation, and so he's shocked to learn that he's being released because of it. I didn't, I didn't see the A&E, so maybe that okay. one. Okay. Um, so they were supposed to do the British Bulldog defending the IC Championship against the Mountie. That doesn't happen because of what Pat just said. So um, he was made to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels on November 14th. Uh, at Saturday night, at the very last Saturday night's main event, 31, um, until it would come back later during the John Cena years. All right. Uh, so that's the Survivor Series. Uh, where it ends up being Savage and Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect, who then basically turns on Ric Flair versus Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. Moving on. October 12th uh, in 1992 in Saskatoon. And someone's going to have to explain this one to me, <laughs> Chris. October 12th, 1992 in Saskatoon, Bret Hart defeats Ric Flair uh, for his first WWF championship at an untelevised house show, which is later. Saskatoon. It's not like it was Regina. (laughs) Uh, Which is later released on everyone's favorite video cassette. Smack them, whack them. That's right. Smack them, whack them, Chris. Everybody. Now, now here's where it paid to be Canadian because boy, did we get an alternate version of this than you guys got. I'll tell you that because I've seen both feeds and we used to get a different version of superstars than you guys did with, you know, the Canadian ads and all kinds of different things Mm -hmm. that are layered in there. So when Bret Hart won the title from Ric Flair, we saw the, you know, just the, the bare bones clips of, of the match, which you guys got. No, sir. We had the full localized promo and ticker tape parade for Bret Hart on our show. Holy ding dong. What a difference. So you guys didn't get the true feel of, you know, the Canadian finally becoming the champion on VHS tape. Right. <laughs> which, so, which was crazy. Which so was released like six months after the match too. So Bret My Hart God. Has, yes. Bret Hart has complained pretty <laughs> pretty loudly that flair wouldn't put him over on like real television that you know they got this house show match do you have any insight as to what again poor brett what possessed them to decide they're gonna put pull the title off of flair put it on him he's gonna do his first like title defense at the survivor series against Shawn michaels who's the uh, ic champion at the time but they're gonna do all of this under the you know the, the cloud of night so that you're if you're a fan watching at home and you can't be at these shows if you're like a kid you're like, what the hell is all this? I don't understand what's happening here. Like, why doesn't Brett get the big title change where people can actually fucking see it besides the Canadians on their rooftops with their maple syrup? <laughs> now, now, Pat, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were talking about last time, last time we did the history of WrestleMania, there was a big push for non-televised events. So, you know, having title changes, the element of surprise at these shows combined with the fact that Ric Flair has an inner ear injury here, does he not? He is he has made the excuse that he has a cochlear injury that causes him every once in a while to have symptoms similar to vertigo. However, Correct. conspicuously, these have only happened when he's wrestled Bret Hart. <laughs> I can see that. Bret Hart hurts my ear. 
All right. Anything else? I don't about... understand. I can't ever give Bret Hart a good match like I wanted to because I always had the thinner ear problem. All right. So <laughs> we'll just move on from here. Um, the, no, the no good Ric Flair, you know, wouldn't put me over, and I'm sick and tired I, of it. I, I, told you, <laughs> I think Bret he's Hart, sabotaging the matches. I think, he's, not, I think he's doing it on purpose. Bret Hart's not bitter or anything. Oh, Yokozuna, no, no, no. <laughs> Yokozuna's debuted uh, October 31st, 1990. Something good to talk about. On an edition of Superstars. And he makes his pay-per-view debut at the Survivor Series, which is Yokozuna defeating poor, hapless Virgil, who got his fuck money and then left. To, meat sauce, baby. He went and got the meat sauce from the Isle of Garden. Uh, as I said before, Randy Savage and Mr. Perfect defeat Flair and Razor Ramon by DQ. And Bret Hart defeats Shawn Michaels by submission for the title. Um, so the next thing that happens on my list of events, this, this ongoing four page list that I have flair legitimately requests a release from his contract because Hogan's gone. Sid's gone. The warrior's gone. No dog's gone. Not and why Flair now wants to leave. All right. You're shaking your head. You're saying that's not what happened, brother. It, it, it's sort of what happened. Basically Vince held a meeting before the title match through. He's going to drop the belt to Brett and basically tells flair like, Hey Rick, you know, uh, we're going to be going in the youth direction because we've had all these stars for a while and the company's changing. The audience is changing. We want to go with the a, Saskatoon, a youth. Yeah. A youth okay. movement, new guys. You know, we want to get some of the guys who've been underneath up and involved and freshen it up. Um, we still want you here. You know, we still think you can work with these guys and, and uh, you know, but uh, you're not going to be in the main event picture. Like, you know, you will, you have been, so it's going to be you helping these young guys and kind of player coaching. They kind of pitch to them. Flair's, oh, okay. No problem. And then, once Brett kind of – he puts the title on Brett, and then he and Brett are supposed to have these series of rematches, and Brett eventually dresses him down in the locker room because he thinks he's sabotaging the matches, which I don't doubt. And it's like, uh, yeah, Rick, I'm the champion. We're going to do things my way now. And Rick kind of just like, oh, okay. And then Rick, sure enough, at that point sees that, you know, one, receipts in the company aren't as big as he had hoped for. Two, his standing in the company, he's not the man. He's never going to be the man again there because they want to go with the youth movement. And he's looked 60 years old since he's 30. Um, you know, uh, uh, time to go back to greener pastures. Is, is, is Jim Hurd still there? No. Do I have any friends there? Yeah. Aren't still there? Okay, let, let's go back to WCW. Let's be the big fish in a small pond again. Well, you know, this is um, – you, you say what you want, but I'm going to defend Ric Flair here. He wants to go – they want to keep him. He wants to go because he doesn't want what, what creative has planned for him. So he's like, fuck it. I'm out. But he doesn't just leave. A lot of these guys just left. He doesn't just leave. He spends the next two to three months putting over both Perfect yeah. and Bret Hart. I mean, I mean, and, and they take that act on the road. His last match with Bret Hart is like February in Germany. And he, lo and he loses like every single house show match to who? Bret Hart for the title. So it's not like Ric Flair was a dick about the whole thing. It was like, I would rather do something else. What do you need for me so that I can leave proudly and gracefully? And I, and I respect that. Yeah, don't burn the bridge. Honor, honor the commitment you made, and then try to help while you're still there, which is the right attitude to have. Would have been nice if he had done any of it on television. Yeah, only <laughs> only, only Hennig on television on Raw. That was it. Yeah, I it's I. Why did the why did the bottom fall out on this company and they nearly go into bankruptcy in 1995? I wonder. And again, let's point to Vince not forcing the hand of a lot of these guys to do a job mm -hmm. on TV to Brett. Right. No, I, I look, I don't just put it on the guys. You know, Vince McMahon's not really making good decisions here. And then they wonder why things go the way that they go. More on that later. Um, so many wrestlers were scheduled to compete at the 93 Royal Rumble, but were either re replaced or had left the company before the event. Some of those people were Crush, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Mountie, and Kamala. The first, now, a monumental thing happens in 1993 that still uh, is a factor today, and that is 
the very first Monday Night Raw from the Manhattan Center, which takes place on January 11th, a cold day in 1993. Um, just you know, wanted to bring that up as that's when that era of television starts to take place and things start to make the things that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of shows really take root here at this point in history. At a house show in Denver, Colorado on January 22nd, Mr. Perfect pins Ric Flair and he loser leaves the WWF match. Which brings us to the Royal Rumble on January 24th. Yokozuna wins the big event, last eliminating Randy Savage and making and getting his title shot at WrestleMania against whoever holds the title at that time. Bret Hart defeats Razor Ramon, who's replacing the Ultimate Warrior for the WWF Championship by submission. Um, at this event, another monumental thing happens. We get the debut of Lex Luger. Luger previously wrestled in WCW, where he held the WCW Heavyweight Champion and was a four horseman at one point. Most um, homoerotic commentary ever by Bobby Heenan. <laughs> he left the industry to join Vince McMahon's World Bodybuilding Federation, but much like the XFL, timing is everything. And, <laughs> and the WBF uh, comes into existence and is shut down in the midst of a steroid investigation. Hot dog. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I wonder why it failed. Um, so after the WW, after the WBF goes away, uh, Luger signs with the WWF and he makes his debut at the Royal Rumble. Um, any, uh, this is, I think people have described the 93 Royal Rumble as like nondescript. <laughs> like, it's just like, just there. It's fine. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Um, nobody cares about this one. Pretty much. I mean, it, you know, Brett carries an injured Scott Hall through a, a pretty good main event. Cause Scott mm -hmm. has an injury. The Royal Rumble match itself is not, they, they try to use it to make Yokozuna, but he didn't get like the dominant monster Royal Rumble push that we'll see in later years that other guys get like Diesel, uh, right. you know, among others. So they didn't really do that. The stupidest Royal Rumble finish of all time where Randy Savage drops an elbow on Yoko and then tries to pin him. What? Randy? Really? <laughs> Have you not been in these before? Randy, come on. Uh, somebody else I get it. But Randy Savage, you know, come on. Um, yeah. Luger's debut. And obviously there are big plans for Luger at a certain point in time. Uh, Sean and Marty have a good match. Marty came in all fucked up though and hung over and got fired again. Uh, go figure. Sells the wrong arm at one point. Second verse, same as the first. A little bit nastier, a little bit worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, roll on with 93, nondescript show. All right, so then we move on to the garden on January 29th of 93, where Mr. Perfect yet again defeats Ric Flair, this time by DQ at the 17 minute mark. And this is um, this is a known for Flair's last appearance at MSG for the next like decade. On the European tour, Ric Flair puts over Bret Hart 87,000 times every single match. Don't tell me Ric Flair didn't do jobs. He just didn't do them on television. Um, so unless it was perfect. So anyway, um, so they have the, he has this very, 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 very last match of this period. He finally goes down. The fall of Ric Flair is finally complete in Dorton, Germany on February 10th, 1993. Uh, Bret Hart defeats Ric Flair, and that's his last appearance for the next decade. Um, so another thing happens around this time shortly thereafter. We have a return here, Pat. On the February 15th, 1993 Raw, IRS hits Beefcake in the face. Brutus Beefcake, remember him? Um, in the face with a briefcase. And Jimmy Hart then turns on IRS and the Million Dollar Man. And Hogan returns shortly thereafter. Hulk Hogan is back. So uh, let, let's talk about this for a second, and then we'll jump right into the shittiest WrestleMania ever, uh, WrestleMania 9. Um, Hogan, the last time he disappeared was to do uh, uh, Suburban Commando. Mr. Nanny. 
Mr. Nanny. What's he doing between eight and nine? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought that's what I thought you were referencing. He's making yeah. Mr. Nanny right now. That's what I thought. Okay. That's yeah. it. We talked about the last one with Suburban Commando. So he goes to make a movie. He's not, I think he's going to leave this time later this year to go do just retire permanently, quote unquote. But he's going to go do Thunder in Paradise, yes. which lasts what? How many seasons? Uh, technically two. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah. So, in between, when does he um, show up in WCW? Is it the same year? Is it 93 or is it 94? 94. 94. Okay. So he takes about a year. So he comes back. He takes a year off to go do Mr. Nanny. Comes back, does his uh, does his final run in the WWF, and then he goes off to do Thunder in Paradise for a year, no wrestling, and then he signs with WCW and has this big match with Ric Flair. The match denied him, denied us all in the WWF. Uh, it's already denied. <laughs> so anyway, um, so the match is going to be Beefcake and Hogan versus um, versus Money Inc. And with Jimmy Hart in their corner, who is now turned face. And then the main event is going to be Yokozuna cashing in his Royal Rumble win against Bret Hart. But lo, things happen. That <laughs> things happen. Um, I got to talk about the Bruce Pritchard podcast when we're done here to close this out. But let's talk about the event itself. We had to this at some is, point, didn't we? This is, you know what's funny about this? Like on paper, if you'd have pitched to me, we're going to have like a Roman toga party in Caesar's Palace in Nevada. Like hot bananas. I'm awesome. Like, this, this should have been the best WrestleMania. Like it's, you know, it's got, you're talking about an arena with a lot of pizzazz. You're talking about like what a show this was. This is the very definition, like the textbook Webster's dictionary definition of all sizzle and no steak not a single decent match on this show this is horrible and it's like even the matches that should have been good are just okay and the ones that are bad are the dirt worst ever how like, do you have how do you have a, a card a wrestlemania card with matches featuring bret hart and kurt hanning and the best you can say about one of those matches mm -hmm. is yeah it was all right yeah the only the only match I, I kind of like on this is the Steiners and the Head Shrinkers. That's it. I I don't know if it was a morale thing where everyone's just, they know the bottom's falling out, but they got to go to work, and it's just no one's motivated, or it was hot, or the camel stunk like shit. I don't know what the problem was, but when everyone's like collective view of this pay per view is it's the worst thing ever, and the best part is Bobby Heenan riding in backwards on a camel. There's a problem. Let's talk about it. So. We start off um, on the uh, broadcast with Tatanka versus Shawn Michaels. And at this point, Shawn Michaels has used and abused poor, poor Sherry. And now he's being accompanied by Luna Vachon, who was just featured on Dark Side of the Ring. Uh, what did you think of this match? It's tell, fine. Him call you, tell him you call him back, goddammit. Yeah, it's a thing. It's fine. Um, it's there. It's not bad. It's not mm -hmm. good. It's just kind of there. Um, you know, I was more invested in the Sherry Luna stuff than I was in Sean and, and Tatanka, not to slight them, but it is what it is. Um, Sean wanted no part of having Luna as a valet. So of course, you know, this is the one and only pairing we ever get from them really. Um, mm -hmm. Luna was there to, you know, harass and antagonize Sherry and she did so and assaults her later in the show. Two guys who are capable. Sean's not really at his greatest work peak yet. So there's that. Tatanka knows this isn't like a match with a satisfying finish. So there's that. Move on. Indeed. Uh, next one. The Steiner Brothers versus the Head Shrinkers. You said you like this one a lot. This is almost 15 minutes long. Go ahead and sing its praises. 
it's fun. You have a lot of NWA uh, continuity here because they used to work together a lot as the Steiner brothers and the Samoan SWAT team. So there's a lot of familiarity between these guys. Some scary spots. There's one where they're, I think they're going for a stun gun type spot. And Samu has Scotty up and goes to drop him. But somebody's holding the top rope down. I think Fatu's leaning on a little heavy. And Scotty just takes a header right out to the floor. And it's kind of scary. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was frightening. Yeah. But then they just kind of go back in and have this old school Steiner SWAT team match where they're hitting each other hard. They're going at it. They do the non-sell on the headbutts and beat the crap out of them for a little while. And it's, it's a good finish. I like the, you know, the blindside finish. I love the Frankensteiner coming into play. Uh, the blindside bulldog. The, top, the double top rope moves from the Steiners was cool. It's fine. It's a very fun match. It's the only match on this show I actually enjoy. I don't know about that. I think I think when you got the Steiner brothers here, you got Scotty Steiner, who has you talk about coming out of the steroid era. This guy keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's a little bit thicker than he was in WCW here. And it's starting to show in his mobility. This is the first time where I'm like, hmm, maybe these aren't the Steiner brothers that were in WCW, because you know there was a little bit of sloppiness at play that wasn't there in WCW. And I mean, these teams, like Pat said, have matched up many, many, many times over the years. And uh, I wouldn't say this was a great match, but man, that uh, that scary, you know, uh, that bump to the outside was ridiculous. I thought somebody was killed on it. But overall, as a Steiner Brothers fan, there is, there are no bad Steiner Brothers matches. So I loved it just like you did, Pat. So we have next Doink the Clown versus Crush, but this isn't Matt B- Born Doink, is it? Yes, yes it, is. it is. Oh, it is Matt Born Doink. Yep. Because there was a note and Steve like, Kern Doink that Matt that. Doink the Clown was gone, but I'm like, there were multiple Doinks, so no. which, which Doink was gone? Th- by the this, this is Matt Bourne. Okay. Steve yep. Kern is going to be Doink number two. Okay. And Matt's going to play that role basically into the fall of 1993 when he just can't overcome personal demons, and he's replaced by a recommendation of Bam Bam Bigelow named Ray Apollo. Okay. Did he oh. miss the Royal Rumble that he was supposed to be at for a different reason? Because again, the note that I read was he was gone. He was supposed to be at the 92 the 93 rumble and he didn't make it for whatever the reasons i believe i remember him being in the 93 royal rumble so i might have to go back and check that yeah it was one of those notes where i'm like this doesn't make sense that's why i took it out of the initial that's why i took it out of my notes but i just wanted to point out somewhere on a wikipedia page i I read that doink was not was supposed to be there and wasn't but you're remembering him on the broadcast so he was there Um, 100 okay so he doesn't get replaced until later on in the year then yeah i think it was the i don't think ray apollo ever became I don't think he was ever heel doink, was he? He oh. he started as face doink. But Bourne actually the- started the face turn and then was replaced yes, correct. shortly into it. What, right. did, did Matt Bourne start off as doink or was somebody yes. else doink first? Okay, so it's, so it's been Matt Bourne, then Steve Kern, and then... As the double doink, like where they could pull the shenanigans like we see in this match. Right. And Lombardi. And Lombardi eventually, yeah. So the, Okay, so there's three doinks before they finally retire the stupid thing? Got it. There's four, remember. The, who, who's four? Ray Apollo. Ray Apollo, okay. yeah. Gotcha. Moving on. Um, Bob Backlund's back after being summarily, <laughs> summarily crushed by the Iron Sheik like 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> he, he gets beaten by Razor Ramon in four minutes. I don't even know. With an inside cradle. Yeah. Why how, Why did this match go? Uh, why did this pay-per-view do so badly? Um, Money Inc. <laughs> takes. Wait a second. You're not getting away with ta- not talking about Bob Backlund and Razor Ramon. Do not skimp over this match, sir. This is a former world's champion taking on young, hot, brash, up-and-comer Scott Hall here to, so, like, Scott Hall is. Like, yeah. 
remember how like when George Foreman first came back and it was like, hey, it's George, and he wasn't really yep. taking on anybody serious. He was fighting like cab drivers and stuff on Tuesday night fights. <laughs> and it's kind of that. <laughs> but we don't man, get to the potatoes to come back later. Like people had either completely forgotten who Bob Backlund was. They really didn't build up his uh, his background as a former, you know, Mr. Howdy Doody, the former world champion. They didn't do a good job of selling who this guy was. He came out there in like a small pair of trunks and his mini little ankle boots and just like to to the applause of nobody. And, and yeah. you know, he basically got paintbrushed by Ramon and just job to job to the stars. Okay, so I even though I'm from New York and I grew up watching 80s WWF, I was not aware of Bob Backlund. My earliest memory of yes. the WWF is Hulk Hogan beating the Iron Sheik because they showed it at the end of every broadcast. You know, in the cradle. Okay, the um, the only thing that I remember from Bob Backlund is the footage over and over and over again of uh, Arnold Scullin throwing in the towel. All right, so I know nothing of Bob Backlund. But I have now grown up since the like the age of six or seven with these hulking, steroided out, jacked up <laughs> dudes. And in walks Opie. <laughs> and I can't take him. And, and I'm being told on the broadcast, this is a former heavyweight champion. This is like if like one of the young bucks walked in, yep. you know, into like, you know, modern day professional wrestling. And you're like, who is this small child? That's supposed to be wrestling these big dudes. And why is he winning? Oh, well, he painful. wasn't doing a lot of winning to be fair at this point. No, he wasn't, but he's going, but he's but for the next year. This is why I quit watching wrestling. Do you know why I quit watching wrestling? Because of fucking Bob Backlund. That's why. Well, then you missed oh, out come on the field run of all time. Because between him and Jerry Lawler, they ruined wrestling for me. The okay. Will you Lawler. stop? Jerry Lawler's a legend. Damn it. This, oh, I can't wait to talk about 94 and 95. I'm gonna stand up on this podcast, pull my pants out, and piss on the computer screen. That and is I will what I piss think on I'm you. Of Bob Backlund and Jerry the King Lawler in this I will time give, period. I will give you Lawler. I will not give you heel Bob Backlund. He was brilliant and well-built. <laughs> when they made him crazy <laughs> Bob Backlund, I come, I'm kind of with you. But yeah, at this point, against Razor Ramon, no, this suck balls. Oh, yeah, not good. Do you know? Do you know that on a house show in St. John's, Newfoundland, the British Bulldog was supposed to show up, but of course, we talked about earlier why he didn't. And guess who his replacement was? Canadian to the applause Carol. of... Of nobody. Canadian hero, Bob Backlund. And if you think that the Americans couldn't care less about Bob Backlund, you should have heard the Canadians. They didn't give a shit. God, what is with you and the unwinnable fights, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey? <laughs> like, like the, the consensus, Bob Backlund sucks. There's Chris Bailey. I will object to that. And I have no with you that are covered in maple syrup. I, here's my hockey stick. Moving on. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about a match that matters, kinda. Money Inc. defeats the Mega Maniacs uh, by by disqualification. That's right, because Money Inc. doesn't lose on TV. Remember, in less than in a little less than twenty minutes, um, and it felt like the whole damn show. <laughs> it did. This was garbage. Yeah, this is not good. Um, like. I have sung Beefcake's praises from earlier WrestleManias. I think by this point, between the accident and just, you know, they can get away with so little to, to get so much reward. Like, no one's putting in any effort in this match. It's so it's so bad, Chris. Yeah, oh my God. This is, this is a train wreck. And this is the debut, like, the official debut of ultra-thin Hulk Hogan. This mm -hmm. is Thunder in Paradise Hulk Hogan. This is almost... Hogan out the door going to WCW. This is terrible. He's got the black eye. 
He's got he's got potato face beefcake going on here. Jimmy Hart, the the fans are oblivious to it. They they really don't care about Hulk Hogan at this point, despite his you know big emotional return on Monday Night Raw just a few weeks earlier. You know what I mean? This don't was actually shoot with Vince, where well, I'm really excited about where Hulkamania is going, brother. Yeah, going right out the door. That's where they were going. <laughs> we're excited where it's going, right to TNT. Yep, and guess what? Hogan, Hogan doesn't, uh, you know, Hogan's got a pose, and that's why you'll. Uh, that's the lesson in this pay per view overall. But we'll get there in a few minutes. But yeah. here's here's hey, the no, point. Hang on, hang on. Be- before you say anything, I, because I forgot to do this when we stopped talking about WrestleMania eight. Hey, one of our great sponsors on the show is Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Facebook, Gmail, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M Network to download Grammarly for free. Go ahead, Pat. So Hogan's thinned out at this point significantly, and he starts wearing the yellow sweatbands as opposed to the white wrist tape. Oh, it looks terrible. I was always there was always something about that besides that. I'm like, why does he look so different to me? And I couldn't figure out for years till like after the fact. He stopped dyeing his eyebrows blonde and let them just be oh, naturally brown. And I was like, so bad. Like, yeah, he like that. It's such a stupid little thing to like not notice or notice. He looks more old in this particular year than at any point that he was in the NWO. Yeah, correct, correct. It's so like. I remember the night that the, I think after Jesse Ventura won uh, the governorship of Minnesota and the next night he came out in the red, white and blue feather boa. That might be my favorite Hogan moment from his entire WCW run. Like Ventura is really a governor, like a real governor of, a, of an actual state. <laughs> Fuck that. It's like, look at me. Oh, I can man. be president. Yeah. Like Hogan can't let anyone have a moment. Nobody. You tell me. <laughs> Follow the money. All right. Speaking of the money, uh, Lex Luger defeats Mr. Perfect in 11 minutes. Um, These guys did not mesh well. I I have a note. I have a note. Okay, please give us your Okay, nudity. ready? This was the first on-screen nudity you've ever seen on pay-per-view because those ladies that were holding the Lex Luger uh, mirrors in this one, they were completely naked. Let's be fair. That thong was ridiculous. I'm telling you, uh, you if if I gave you a copy of my WrestleMania 9 VHS tape, there's a point in the tape that is almost snared and broken. And it's, and it's, and it's on the Lex Luger match. And listen, multiple socks were lost from my drawer over the course of time on this one. I'm just telling you. He's never watched it with pants on. That's all. <laughs> never, never. This yeah. is this is the, this is that one pay per view match that I was like, oh yeah, bring the ladies. Look, I know <laughs> Mister Perfect is one of like Pat's favorite wrestlers, Mister. And and what's weird is like Lex Luger gets such a big push in WCW. He's part of the Horsemen. He's part of the main event scene. Yep. Like Luger is okay, but I don't know how you get a decent match out of Lex Luger. Like what you have to do that really makes him look good. Like I remember him and Hogan. I think for the title in WCW post NWO which wasn't bad, but I feel like that's kind of the solution is let Lex Luger do a bunch of power moves um, and, you know, and kind of, you know, bump for him that way. And, and it's passable here. You have Mr. Perfect who can't seemingly do anything with Lex Luger. This match sucks so bad, Pat. It is awful. It is maybe my least favorite turn ending match of all yeah. time. Oh, mm-hmm. terrible. It, and like, it was it, they, again, Luger's just very stiff and robotic and not, 
able to cut a pace of any kind, especially at this point, because he's so gassed up from being ready for bodybuilding training that he also doesn't have any win to him whatsoever. And, you know, Henning is coming back off of a long layoff, but he's in ring shape at this point. Like he's, he's still able to do certain things. Like he can come off the top with a drop kick. He can do, you can do a couple things here and there, but Lex, Lex has never been the most coordinated athlete. (laughs) To say the least. Yeah, and between that, between his real like big size at this point, because Lex is about as big here as he was in 1986 with a little bit better uh, framing conditioning, yeah. but he, size-wise, he's massive, and he's he's not in ring shape because he hasn't wrestled all that much to this point. It was a bad idea. I, I, it's not a bad idea in theory because Henning should realistically be a guy who can get the best match out of Lex possible at this point. Him and Brett are kind of like your go-tos for that. But Lex is just so not with it. And Hennig, at a certain point, you can see, just doesn't give a shit because he knows this is not yeah. good. And exactly. just reverts back to doing what he liked to do, where he would just pull off one of Lex's tassels from his outfit just to mess with him. The main event, the main event, and only part of the main event is the only thing anyone remembers. Brett versus Yoko is not that bad. Brett's trying with Yoko. I mean, it's like if you don't like the way Yoko wrestles, you're not going to like this match because this is very much revolving around what you can do with a 500-pound dude. Um, you, but, you, you, you're, you're about to skip over the, the most, you know, the biggest wrestling match of all time with the undertaker and Gonzalez. My God, the oh, wrestling right. classic. Good was, Lord, I, man. I think I, had, I think I was trying to, I, <laughs> <laughs> I will not let you. So years later, the undertaker is going to do a very pissy promo with Vince McMahon in the ring. And he's going to yell at the camera and he says, I was your dragon slayer. Giant Gonzalez was that dragon. <laughs> oh my god giant gonzalez do you understand that giant gonzalez was it was all me james it's always been me the author of all your pain and in this <laughs> scenario the under- james bond is the undertaker i apologize uh, for calling lex luger uncoordinated yeah <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was they're just it was the whole it was the solution to the Hogan issue from back in the day. They were just applying it to the Undertaker with all the wrong people. It was let's just build up a monster factory for this guy to go through, and it and it didn't work. You know, they didn't have the right no. monsters. They they don't have good qualified monsters from mid south they can draw from. And they also had instead of Babyface Andre the Undertaker. Yes. So yeah, I I mean really, Chris, do you want to, do you want to spend the next twenty minutes discussing the various uh, detailed points of the Undertaker versus Giant? No, th- this this was the this is famous for the ether soaked rag. So this <laughs> match ends in a disqualification when you know they this try to snuff the out the rag. They try to <laughs> they try to snuff out the Undertaker with an ether soaked rag, and you know. Oh my God! This is just this is a, just a disaster. Like I, I can't I can't say I don't know. Uh, this is probably not the worst WrestleMania match, but it's in the conversation for the top three. This is hideous. Seven minutes and thirty three seconds. We ain't getting back. Yeah, this is pretty awful. All right, now Yoko versus Brett. It's not it's not my favorite match. It's also not my least favorite match ever. I've seen worse. The preceding match being one of them, but if you're just talking main event matches and the rest in, in WrestleMania, I honestly don't think Yoko versus Brett's the worst one. I, I think Brett's working yeah. hard to put over Yoko in this one, and Yokozuna and Yokozuna wins. Here's my problem with this whole match, Pat. If the, <laughs> if the idea was by the end of this thing we want to put the, the title back on Hogan, and, and so let me set this up properly. 
Bruce Pritchard says the reason why Hogan walks out of WrestleMania 9 with the title is because they want it on him for the European tour, which I can believe because they go to Europe after WrestleMania almost every year. Right. And then how many, brought, how many dates does Hogan work on that tour again? I don't know. <laughs> None. Oh, really? Zero. None. That was a detail I had missed. Okay. They replaced Hogan with Hacksaw through that tour because Hogan doesn't oh work any God. of the dates on the European tour. They had to have planned for him too, and then he just didn't go. There's no, there's other because that's the only way this entire ending makes sense. He's about to drop the fucking title to Yokozuna in June. I'm not feeling it, brother. I've also heard that part of it is because now pay-per-view had changed this year because now what they did was they offered replays of an event that they didn't normally yes. offer on Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. So the thought process For cheaper. They have Monday Night Raw. What they can do is hype up this crazy surprise ending you'll never have heard of on WrestleMania happening. And, you know, there was no internet at the time, so you couldn't just jump on and find out what happened. They wanted to do something really big to build it up where you had to buy it. And now you're getting two nights of buy rates instead of one. And what you can do is entice people with, oh, what's this crazy ending we don't know about? Because Raw had been taped in advance, so you're not seeing the WrestleMania fallout from it on this week's show. And here we are. Bob's your uncle, and yeah. Okay, so you're you're contending that the reason why they did this shit at the shit ass ending was not because Hogan was at least planned to go on the European tour with the belt. It was so they would have a reason for people to buy the pay per view a second time. Oh, I think that's only a small part of it, mind you. I think the entire part was Hogan pitching himself like, "Hey, we can make this Hulkamania run work again, brother." And Vince just being like, "You know what? We probably can. Let's do it." And and then yeah, he, then exactly. he's like, okay, well now that you have the belt, here's your Germany, he, you know, here's your European tour schedule, and, and Hogan okay, goes, that doesn't work for me, brother. That's just, God damn it, yet. <laughs> it doesn't work for me, brother. Uh, and, I want and, that on a T-shirt, a Hulk Hogan T-shirt with that written on it. That's great. At which point, Vince's pants just drop down along with his <laughs> jaw, and he falls over, and Bruce Pritchard has to carry him out the door. Uh, Hogan must pose is the story here. Hogan must pose. Let me ask you, is there any other way to do the main event of WrestleMania 9 where Hogan leaves with the belt without having without having to go through the wild woolly path of Bret Hart losing to Yokozuna? Like it with that that's and that's ultimately, and this is what I'm gonna end with. That's ultimately the problem with this, this entire WrestleMania and really this entire two year run. It's a pattern of let's build somebody up, and right before they would have made the most impact, they're going to leave or they're going to get fired. Right. Correct. Know, let's build somebody up and never show you that we built them up. And the people <laughs> who are going to stay, let's never give them that shining moment in the sun. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, like, so but that's can- what we're seeing right now. That's that's happening today. They'll keep bringing back the Cenas and your Undertakers and your big stars and your Lesners. And all year you've got like Drew McIntyre, you know, busting his guts in the middle of the ring. And I can't stand Drew McIntyre. I'm not defending but, him at but all. At least that's on television. Fair, fair, fair enough. You know, it's not happening yeah. in a basement underneath a Chinese food restaurant behind the <laughs> door of the leopard. The way, <laughs> the way they poor, poor Bret Hart. Um, so anyway, I'm just like. I don't want to spend too long on this, but just you have a do you have a thought, Pat, with everything that happens up until including the 1993 Royal Rumble, who do you instead put the belt on to face Hogan in the main event of WrestleMania 9? The the problem is you know that Hogan's not going to stay for an extended run, so you can't do it with anybody too valuable who you're going to hurt that future money-making thing by feeding them to Hogan. If you're done with Yoko, Yoko's legs get cut out from him immediately, and he never has any momentum as a top heel, and he's going to be their top heel for the next two years um, before his weight really balloons out of control. 
but you can't. So you can't do it with Yoko. It doesn't make sense to do it in the way they. Anyway, I hate. To I'm gonna pitch. An idea. I'm gonna pitch an idea. Why can't? Let's do an alternate reality where instead, perfect wins the Royal Rumble, and we put hmm. the, and we put the title on Hogan, and then Hogan just beats Perfect uh, at, at WrestleMania. I don't know if you saw their house show receipts together three years prior to this when they does were. Does it at- matter when the whole company can't make money? At this point, apparently it does, but it doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah, although I, I again, I, any any idea where Mister Perfect gets a WWF title run that he never got in reality, I'm all for. But <laughs> you, you know, again, you've you've decided that Brett's probably going to be your your go to baby face in the way you've been booking. Mm-hmm. You're deciding that Yoko is going to be this monster heel for you guys for the next two years, with the potential of maybe Luger as the other heel if Yoko doesn't work out. But Lex is nowhere near ready for any kind of significant spot at this point, based on his conditioning and everything like that. Right. You could have. You could have potentially done Hogan and Luger. It would have sucked, but it would have sold tickets probably. Because yeah, it would have. Mm-hmm. You know, where Luger was always considered the NWA's Hogan, where Sting was their warrior. Uh, yep. Could you imagine he makes his debut in the Rumble, uh, you know, and wins? What, like well, what buzz that, that would have created? That was actually the plan they wanted for a guy named Scott Steiner. Mm-hmm. At that yes. time. They wanted Scotty to debut in the Royal Rumble and win the Royal Rumble and go on to challenge for the world title and make him a top guy. Ultimately didn't happen for whatever reason, but they had that idea. And if you ship that onto Luger, I think the work stinks and it's terrible, but I think you will be able to cash in a little bit better short term. Sure. Hogan versus Luger on the poster looks awesome. Then, I mean, have you seen the poster I posted for this? Thing. like the poster for wrestlemania 9 not like the vhs ones but the ones I've, i tried to capture the ones that were contemporaneous with the event itself it's a picture yes. of bret hart and caesar's palace he's wrestling caesar's palace That's the- <laughs> <laughs> and boy do do pictures of bret hart not sell tickets i'm no. just saying no all right so that is, that's our conclusion of our mania of wrestlemania 8 and 9 Quite frankly, the some of the worst WrestleManias in the 20-year history that we're looking through. Um, oh, stop. I mean, 90, 11 is in that group, too. So 13. It's like, 13. Revisit 13. You'll be thanking for 8 oh, and 9. I love 13. 13, 13 gets Brett Austin. Come on. Yeah. 13, 13, oh, 13. one match. Come on. Oh, fuck we just off. talked about two shows with one match. 13 gets Shut Brett your Austin. mouth, Uncle Fuckers. The, under, the Undertaker Sid's not that bad. And this also gets my favorite WrestleMania moment of that era, which is uh, poor Ahmed Johnson in the Legion of Doom <laughs> walking in with the and killing and the kitchen sink and it's murdering, crazy. murdering people. It's awesome. We'll talk about that in a few podcasts. All right. Um, so that is that. The next one, we're just going to focus on our next show. We're just going to focus on WrestleMania 10. Um, because again, a lot happened, but we also have to talk about the actual steroid trial and how that affected yes. things. And we can talk about Jenny Garth. So <laughs> yes, please. I actually have the list up here. The, the, the schedule goes like this. Uh, 10 will be November 18th, 11, 12, and 13. We're actually start doing these three at a time now because so little happens in the intervening to- years, but we, you know, this, it just made more sense to pair them up this way. So December 15th, we'll look at 11, 12, and 13. January 26th, we'll look at 14, 15, 16. And I think we'll actually be joined by a fourth person, Stuart, uh, formerly a 401 Mania, or our Scottish friend, uh, has said that he wants to join us for that show. 
WrestleMania 17 gets its own show because it's basically the, you know, we have to talk about the Monday Night War, the NWO. There's so much that happens um, that, you know, we have to just talk about 17 by itself. That's February 23rd. March 24th is uh, 18 and 19. And then the finale, WrestleMania 20, is actually WrestleMania week uh, here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network. So we're ending contemporaneously with WrestleMania in Texas. And that's going to be April 6th. So that's that. Tomorrow night, Pat is back with me again. And we're going to be talking uh, Leonard Duran 1 and 2 on the Four Kings of Boxing. Uh, Loves it. As far as what else we got going on last night, uh, we recorded our Halloween Kills review. That's Jason, Ben Cologne, myself, and Robert Winfrey. Tonight is our review of Ice Nine Kills, the Silver Screen 2. Welcome to Horrorwood. Um, we've released, we've re-aired our reviews of the Peanuts movie and um, the Evil Dead trilogy. Um, and we, and myself and David Wright also did an on-trial for Dune in 1984. <laughs> oh, my apologies. My apologies. I'm glad it was you and not me again, even though this, I'm a Dune fan. This weekend, we've got re-airs of our Cradle of Filth, uh, Hammer of the Witches review, and Dream Theater self-titled. Those are coinciding with new albums from both of those bands. And then um, this weekend coming up starts our march towards the new Paranormal Activity movie that's day and date on Paramount+. Plus. We'll be re-airing our two-part retrospective of the first four Paranormal Activity movies, um, and our, get this, Chris, you didn't know me back then, but myself and Robert Winfrey actually did a split review where I reviewed Gem and the Holograms and he reviewed Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. What Ooh. a show that was. Oh, I bet. Listen, Gem and the Holograms is a very special movie, Mark Radledge. I took my daughter to that one. She had a I, of a good time. It was did, truly, truly, truly outrageous. It really was. Was it, was it really? Was yeah. it really? So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. That movie redeemed itself in the after credit scenes. <laughs> sure. Um, anyway, so you'll see get re of all of those, plus our review of Dune 2021, uh, and so much more. So much more. Chris Bailey. How you living? How you living? How you living? I just want to take this opportunity to say how bad the Eternals suck. Okay. I just, I'm going to start and Pat is going to agree with me. He's nodding. He's agreeing. Nobody cares. The Eternal sucks. I'm Chris Bailey. Stick it up your ass. But what if the music is good, Chris <laughs> Bailey? What if the music in the Eternals is good? Oh, if the music is good, I mean, you chances are you're going to find it on Amazon Music. Happens to be one of our sponsors here, Mark Radlich. And what's keep the what keeps the bills paid here on the W2M Network? Why don't you tell them all about it? We're giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Unlimited service. Uh, you can get you can get that free 30 days by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. Get AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. That's it. That's that's all I'm doing. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so I, I hear you've canceled the Superblog team up because no, because everyone's busy doing their own shit and nobody wants to do your shit. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so I I, I, I I right cancel it. I just said okay, we're done. Good. Moving on. I'll, I'll hang it with Radlich and Mullen, which is better. You got to. I know. Well, hey, go ahead and plug your Elf Quest thing, and then let's get out of here. Oh yeah. So I'm hanging out with Chris Sheehan. We're about to cover issue number eight of uh, of the Marvel epic run of Elf Quest. This one's a good one. This is when uh, when the, you got to put the wife and kids to bed because this episode gets a little bit dirty. We get to see Cutter and Lita as they uh, they head to the the back room for some exercising. So there you go. Oh, this this is going to be first world title. 
<laughs> behind the door, there's Sas- be, behind the door, there's going to be wearing the leopard <laughs> in Saskatoon, no doubt. Nothing happens in St. John's, Newfoundland. Why? Why did we not get a world championship title? You know, uh, change in St. John's. Why? Why? Because we have the Growlers. <laughs> oh, look at Pat. He knows his knowledge. Look at this guy. He's he's not a phony. He's a real Canadian. I'm like that Radledge clown. I just know about the maple syrup and the hockey sticks. All right. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, Pat's got nothing to plug. So let's... What? This, that's not true. What do you have to plug? I was just on a review for the Many oh. Saints of Newark on as available on HBO Max streaming. You can listen to myself, Mark Radlich, and Robert Winfrey all uh, talk about the good, the highs, and the lows of the Many Saints of Newark. You can also hear a re-broadcast of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy featuring Tony Soprano with myself and Robert Winfrey. In all addition, right. we have had some Venom quant, uh, content on this channel, but only one of those shows was really quantity was really quality and quantity. And it was a roundtable discussion I was on along with Jesse Starcher. Uh, Ronnie Adams. It was a fantastic show. Robert Winfrey joined us. We talk about all the highs and highs and highs of Tom Hardy. There was no body mass discussion. You specifically told me you wanted a roundtable discussion of Venom to discuss body mass. I wanted that. I didn't get it, but I take with the good with the bad. I take them both, and there you have the facts of life. You got to going strong. You know, and now you know about the facts of life. The facts of life. When the world never seems to be living up to your dreams, suddenly you're finding out the facts of life are all about you. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs> Girl,